today on CityCast Madison. Hate crimes have nearly doubled statewide in recent years. And in the past few months, we've seen chilling hate incidents right here in Madison, including a neo-Nazi march downtown. Madison prides itself on being welcoming, and the Madison Police Department says it wants to get ahead of acts or threats of hate-fueled violence. To do that, they've launched a 90-day task force. We sat down with Police Chief Sean Barnes to learn what MPD is doing about hate crimes. It's Monday, February 12th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Chief Barnes, hello. So happy to have you back with us. Thank you, uh, Bianca, and thank you for having me on again. Yeah. So what's the aim of this new hate crimes task force? You know, Bianca, um, over the last month, maybe even six weeks, I've received several calls and uh, emails from community members who are concerned about their safety. And they're concerned that because of who they are, where they come from, their religion, that they may be subject to being targeted like we've seen in other parts of the country. And this is something that, quite frankly, I'm very familiar with. Um, as you know, I grew up in the rural South. And when I lived with my grandmother in a basically old farmhouse, she had one rule at night. The shades had to be down and the curtains had to be drawn. And the reason that is, is because in her day, People would even shoot through your window or throw rocks through your windows if they thought you were in that space. And I never forgot that. And I felt like for a country so wealthy, at times we can act so poor. And I mean our moral character and fiber. So when I heard people talking about, what are you doing to keep me safe? I asked myself that same question. What more could I be doing to keep you safe? And so I decided to put together what I call a hate crimes task force. The task force comprises of uh, myself. It's led by an assistant chief. It's led also by a captain. There are detectives on the task force and a lieutenant from each district. We want to make sure that any call we receive, any report that we have to take, that we're going to give it a, um, a critical eye to ensure that if someone uh, quite frankly, harm someone's property or themselves or someone else, we're going to make sure that they're held accountable. Additionally, I wanted to do my part, what little I can, to turn down the temperature of hate rhetoric in Madison. As you know, uh, last month, uh, I received a phone call letting me know through our law enforcement sources that we were going to have uh, not uh, what well, I guess they're called neo-Nazis or a hate group, whatever you want to call them, coming to Madison and walking through the city looking for attention. And we weren't going to give them any more attention than they deserve, which is none. And so we do allow people to exercise their First Amendment right. That's a part of the balance with the Hate Crimes Task Force. And certainly we try to strike that balance. But hate has no place in this country and it certainly has no place in Madison. As you're fully well aware, this city has a history of tolerance dating all the way back to uh, the Vietnam era and even before then. And so I needed to know that uh, I could answer the question, Chief Barnes, what are you doing to keep me safe? 
And so what does the task force specifically do? What have you outlined there? Yep. So there, there are a few uh, objectives of the task force. One uh, is to educate our officers on what questions to ask uh, during the initial investigative process. Uh, number two, they're to come together with a community engagement plan so that community members know that we exist and that we're here to help you. Uh, number three, to ensure the successful prosecution of any cases with a hate crime enhancer. As you know, most states don't actually have a hate crime statute. Uh, they have a hate crimes enhancer. And so we have that here in Madison, and we want to make sure that everyone is fully aware of it. Uh, number four, we coordinate with our other law enforcement partners from around Dane County and, of course, uh, those partners at the Fusion Center, as well as our FBI partners that really give us a lot of good information when we need it on this particular thing. I am proud to say that because we put the task force together, we have other law enforcement agencies saying, hey, can I join too? Is there a space for me? So UW Police Department has sent an officer over, and so we now have a liaison there. And certainly we're open to any other police departments that may want to join this particular effort. Yeah. Do you know, are there any other task force like this in the state? Or is this really, you know, would people be looking to Madison as kind of a, a leader there? Yeah. You know, I've received um, media requests from Milwaukee and, and Green Bay and other places uh, that are radio. And so it appears to me that this is something new uh, for Madison. Um, you know, um, I'm not suggesting that uh, uh, we have uh, a problem in this enormity, but I am suggesting that uh, policing should be proactive and we have to do everything we can to cool the temperature in the room. Yeah. And have there been more local reports of hate crimes recently? Yeah, you know, it's a tough question to answer because most of these crimes are never reported. Um, you know, if someone vandalizes someone else's car or they, they put something on someone's car, you know, if it can easily be wiped away and moved on, sometimes community members don't let us know. And it's really difficult sometimes to measure what we are unaware of. And this is one of those instances. But we do know that whenever there is an instance that we think may be hate crime related, that it's often um, uh, something that gets a lot of folks' attention. And then we get other calls that come in and say, hey, well, this happened to me. That happened to me. One of the things that I think I want to do with this task force uh, Bianca, is let people know it's okay to call and report these. Before, the numbers could be low because people felt like it wasn't going to be taken seriously. And that is a big objective for this uh, particular task force, letting the community members know that we take this very seriously. You may think you can get away with it here. You cannot. You may want to think about not doing it at all because there's a group of people who were specifically uh, figure out that you're responsible and hold you accountable for your actions. And my understanding is this is an effort, um, like you said, to educate officers how to take these calls so they're even more prepared for that moment and to unify across the force. Absolutely. To unify across the force. Uh, we have a very diverse police department here. We have police officers who are Jewish, police officers uh, who are Muslim. We have police officers from all over the world working here in Madison. And even these officers have fully uh, supported this effort. You know, when it comes to uh, taking good reports, much like the training we do on domestic violence, there's a certain language and there's a certain behaviors that we expect from officers. And we wanna work to see how best we can train officers when they're going on these calls 
when they're taking calls about vandalism or, hey, I'm worried about my neighbor. Uh, he or she has been acting a little, you know, interesting. Uh, we can ask those questions. But what does that mean? What have you seen? And we also have a criminal intelligence uh, unit here that can kind of uh, look at some of those behaviors and assess if we have to. If we have to go to the Fusion Center. We have to go to the FBI and say, hey, can you do an assessment for us of this particular person? And they'll look at open source data and look at Facebook posts and things of that nature. Um, I was uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, last year, uh, probably around October, and I remember taking a course at the FBI uh, Academy in Quantico, and they were talking about um, the warning signs of someone before they commit uh, a mass shooting or before they commit an act of mass violence. And one of those warning signs is like a manifesto or a statement of declaration, and they were giving us some examples of where they found these declarations, some in writing, but some actually on social media. So one of the things that we wanna tell people, if you see something on social media that disturbs you, if you can save it, fine. But if you can't, we understand, we can still probably get that. But we wanna make sure that we know about it because there is a process uh, that our federal partners have of assessing individuals to make sure that they're just expressing their first amendment right. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, even if you don't agree with the message, but when that is a indicator of something to come, when that's an indicator of something that could be violent, we want to make sure that we can prevent that. And by, um, you know, unifying the force across the districts, you'll, you would be also be able to track patterns or any like links across the area. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes people are connected. Uh, sometimes uh, it is very unfortunate, but people uh, are easily influenced. And so if there's an influencer out there who are talking to young people, uh, who are talking uh, uh, to people who are are loners or, or, or particularly vulnerable for whatever reason, you may be hurting, uh, you may uh, have had something happen in your life and now that's the anniversary and it's triggering to you, uh, the number to call is CARES. You call our CARES team or you call our mental health professionals or you call 911. But sometimes uh, these people are targeted and they are influenced to do things uh, in communities all around the country, and we've seen that. Y'all, there is a truly special opportunity coming this month. The Harry Whitehorse International Wood Sculpture Festival is running from June 14th through the 22nd. And it's a first of its kind week-long celebration of contemporary and traditional wood sculpture and indigenous culture. It's named after the world-renowned Ho-Chunk sculptor and painter who lived in Monona, the late Harry Whitehorse. And it will be hosted at the iconic San Damiano Park, right on the shores of Lake Monona. The fest is inviting 12 international sculptors from countries like Peru, Germany, Ukraine, and more for a week-long artist-in-residence. And it will host demonstrations of live sculpture and Ho-Chunk arts and crafts, such as black ash basketry, porcupine quill art, and finger weaving. Plus, they've got live music and food. Plan your visit and learn more at harrywhitehorse.com festival. Kids are our future, right? And we all want to make sure that future is bright. That's why making sure that their bodies, minds, and characters are strong. Luckily, Kid Strong coming to Sun Prairie might just be the answer. 
KidStrong is a national franchise that uses a science-based trading program that focuses on character, physical, and brain development through weekly 45-minute age-based classes. And a pair of Sun Prairie parents are opening a new KidStrong location at Prairie Lake Shopping Center. Instruction is led by world-class certified coaches, and kids are taught everything from the importance of shaking hands to how to do a pull-up correctly. And 77% of parents in the program credit KidStrong with boosting their children's self-confidence. Interested? You can call or text 608-369-8866 or visit their social media at KidStrong Sun Prairie to learn more. The program opens in the next few weeks, and you can save money by registering today. I want to get back to, as you noted at the top, you know, we saw neo-Nazi group activity in Madison. We saw um, a group march on Madison last November, which was very disturbing for everyone. Uh, What can Madison police do about these groups? Everyone has the right to free speech, the right to assemble, the right to petition. Uh, we cannot take that away from people, even if we don't like the message. Uh, and so what we do is we we monitor those situations. Uh, some of the things uh, during our monitoring process, the community may see some of those things you will not see. But I can assure you that when we have things that happen in our community that truly affects uh, the conscience of Madison, that the police will be monitoring that and we monitor it closely. Because the first time or the first thing that we see that leads from First Amendment rights to violence or property damage, it's our responsibility to interject. Yeah, the Constitution says people are free to hold repulsive views and to express them. Um, The FBI says hate itself is not a crime, as you're sharing. Um, But also, like you shared, People aren't allowed to threaten or harm others. So when does speech cross a line into inciting violence? Yeah, that's a, a good question. And uh, when that happens, Bianca, we have to make that decision immediately. So it is incumbent on the judgment of our officers, which is one of the things that the hate crime group is going to do. They'll help author a brief um, with the help of our legal team uh, so that officers know when to interject. But think of it this way, once you interject, if you're right or if you're wrong, it'll probably take a court uh, a year or so to decide. We have to decide right then and there, right? So that's the difference between sometimes uh, policing and the legal profession. The legal profession gets the benefit of reviewing case precedent. They get the benefit of, of hindsight. They get the benefit of having a legal expertise and consulting with legal expertise. We have to make the decision right then on the spot, and sometimes it can be done within a matter of seconds. But we do the best thing that we can, uh, do the best that we can. But it's important that we do error on the side of First Amendment first. That's a part of what we call our Madison method. Okay. So, you know, I'm thinking last summer, there was a report of one neo-Nazi carrying a rifle um, in the march in Watertown. would that count, like, if someone is carrying in terms of threatening life? Yeah, so we, we are in an open carry state. I think we saw that um, uh, in Kenosha. Um, there was a case in Kenosha. I uh, can't remember the young man's name uh, who was tried. I think he actually discharged that weapon. But initially, uh, he was uh, walking through the town with, with that weapon. Is this Rittenhouse? I believe so. That's correct. 
and believe so. And and so, you know, you have to think about that as well. So now we now we're on to the Second Amendment. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what about people who make death threats? Um, could they be arrested for disorderly conduct at the very least? So when you're threatening someone, we need a victim and we need the person to believe um, reasonably that you intend to carry out that threat. Then it is a threat. And if you don't believe it, if you don't, uh, if you're not in fear of that threat, it's actually not a threat. And so we have to have a victim before we can make uh, any type of charge similar to that. Yeah, this is really complex. And so I I didn't want to ask, how do you approach handling groups like this personally? You know, because some people say, you know, these folks are looking for attention. Uh, engaging with them rewards them in a way. And some folks say, ignore them at your own risk. Ignoring them doesn't make them go away. What's your take? Yeah, we remain neutral in any exercise of the First Amendment, no matter what the what the what it may be. So the same approach we would make for them, we would make for Black Lives Matter protests, we'd make for protests uh, around Roe v. Wade, we'd make for, you know, um uh, any other type of, of protests that there may be. Uh, and that is that we monitor it to ensure the safety of everyone and so that whoever is exercising their First Amendment right, they can do that peacefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I believe your department did issue a statement, though, you know, call, you know, distancing yourself from the hate speech that was being made. But you're not going to take, you know, action, criminal action. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we're not going to we're not going to go to them and say, hey, who's in charge here? Don't like what you're saying. You know, but when it comes to hate, I think I think we're all in agreement that, you know, you shouldn't have to say it. But I wanted to make sure that our community was clear on where I stand uh, as a department leader and that I don't believe that that's appropriate. Yeah. Some people might say, what about the Black Lives Matter protests? There there were tear gas thrown downtown. Yeah. But that happened after a series of incidents. We don't just throw tear gas. I think people know that. Uh, they they may see, they won't see the whole incident, but they'll see that part of it. But the truth of the matter is there's always warnings. There's always a reason. Uh, there's always property damage or damage, I would say, to persons. Uh, in one incident, uh, there was a fire uh, attempting to be started uh, in the building that appeared to be vacant. But the truth is there were apartments on the top of it. Now, the protesters don't know that uh, at the time. And so they're moving forward in the area that quite frankly, would have been dangerous for everyone, including them. And so you have to move them back. Uh, and that was a method that we that was deployed after uh, significant warnings were given. Now, we're getting better at the way we give warnings. We purchase some equipment that is clearer, that is louder, that has a pre-recorded message on it so that it's clear and that when you hear it, you understand it and you know what it is uh, so that we can move people so that we don't have to use tear gas. But I don't see uh, a real in my opinion, I don't see a connection between uh, Black Lives Matter and neo-Nazis. Right. I could hear someone having that reaction there. Um, but, you know, you're talking about this hate task force that you want to be proactive. That's the step because um, you're getting these calls in. What are you thinking about around prevention of hate crimes? Is the MPD doing anything there? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to prevent someone's, you know, intentions because you they're not readily um, apparent to you. Um, but when it comes to uh, hate crimes, obviously, again, it's the act, right? So you can hate all you want. That's not illegal, right? And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to prevent uh, damage to people and damage to property. And the same way 
we prevent that on a Saturday night at downtown State Street. It's the same way we'll do it with this particular incident. We'll look for clues, we'll look for warning signs, and we'll do early intervention work when appropriate. How can we prevent folks from getting sucked into hate groups? We talked a little bit about some of the warning signs. Like, what's the thinking there? Yeah, I think we all have to learn to manage our emotions. We all have to learn to seek help when we need it. And we all have to be vulnerable enough uh, to talk to someone and to talk to someone positive about what we're feeling on the inside. One of the things that I'm certainly proud of is that we have a very uh, a giving city. Um, we have mental health services that are available in the city at no cost to our community members. Our nonprofit sector is one of the best nonprofit sectors in the entire country. In our city of 273,000 people, we have 3,500 nonprofits, 5% of which have a budget of over a million dollars. I'm certain that in that number, there's a group that will more than be more than willing to provide mental health services for people who are experiencing it. Remember, anger is a symptom of something greater. And so if you can get to what something greater is, you can prevent the anger. Yeah, it's typically masking hurt, right? Yeah. And people who are hurt, what do they do? They hurt other people. I think we've always known that. And, you know, it's probably one of the greatest slogans I think someone ever, ever came up with because it just makes you stop and think about that, especially if you're the person who is thinking about hurting someone else or you want to say something to hurt someone else or you want to say something that's going to cause someone else uh, to have a bad feeling about themselves. Why are you doing that? Where's your pain lie? And let's fix it. So what can folks expect if they report a, a hate crime to MPD? Well, they can expect um, a level of procedural justice that we haven't done before. Uh, you can expect that the officer will be explaining to you what next steps are. Uh, that includes um, sending that report, which will now be typed as a priority report. I didn't mention that earlier, but um, every time we do a report based on the category, it goes in the system you know, in a timely manner. So, you know, if your mailbox was stolen as compared to a shooting, we're probably going to process the shooting report before the mailbox, right? Not that your mailbox isn't important, but someone will send me emails and say, I love my mailbox and I'm glad you do. But my point is uh, we have now prioritized any report where we think there may be a hate crime enhancer. So that report will be in the hands of a lieutenant, detective lieutenant, uh, within uh, 24 to 48 hours. And then that report will also be reviewed by the hate crimes task force. So they meet bi-weekly, they bring those reports in together and they all read and they go through them and they think about ways that they can help. And if they think that there's someone that needs to be held accountable, we move to do that. Well, Chief, do you have any last words for folks who are listening? I mean, this has been really, really fascinating, this update. Yeah, you know, I would just simply say that, you know, Part of my role and my responsibility is to be proactive when it comes to crime and disorder. I fully understand that uh, hate crimes uh, are tricky because you do have the right to think and say what you want in this country, but you don't have the right to damage someone's property or damage someone. You don't have the right to threaten or intimidate someone to where they believe that their life is in danger. I encourage everyone uh, to seek uh, professional help if you're dealing with uh, anger, if you're dealing with sadness, 
if you're dealing with something that you think was brought on by the presence of another person and understand that our department is here as a help for the community. We're not uh, the full range of public safety in the city, but we are usually the first ones to identify a problem. And then it's our responsibility to link people with the best resources to help them. Uh, I want people to know that um, I care about our community personally and professionally. And I want people to know that no one should ever live in fear because of who they are, like my grandmother had to when she was a young girl. Well, Chief Barnes, it's certainly translating across across today's discussion. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us and giving us this update. Absolutely. Thank you, Bianca. That's Sean Barnes, Madison Police Chief. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with someone you know who values safety and inclusion in Madison. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then, 